Most people have good intentions, but few people practice intentionality. Greetings from Dothan, Alabama. We're recording today's podcast, Insights on Intentionality, and our special guest is Steve Miller from Morgan City, Louisiana, from Cajun Country. Welcome, Steve, to the podcast. Thank you, Coach. Glad to be here. Steve has uh, been kind enough to be my stagecoach driver on an Intentional Way ministry tour. We've been in Florida uh, for a day and then a couple of days in South Alabama ministering to men, uh, training leaders of men, and we're finishing up today in Dothan, Alabama, where we'll have a chance to host a men's breakfast and to challenge men on their journey to biblical manhood and also equip leaders about becoming more effective in reaching and discipling men. Every time we take a ministry road trip, there are three primary objectives, iron sharpening, ministry equipping, and kingdom networking. And a friend of Steve's and mine, David Delk, who at the time of 2006 was the president of Man in the Mirror out of Orlando, Florida, was intentional in connecting the dots between the two of us. We've been taking men during our tenure as a men's pastor to the Gulf Coast and helping out with Katrina relief. Steve Miller, who had been contacting Man in the Mirror and receiving mentoring for them, as well as I was as a men's pastor at the time, David Delk, the president of MIM, said, Hey, the next time you go to the Gulf Coast, why don't you have a chance to reach out to Steve? I believe you'd be good for him at this stage of your journey of leadership. And that started a friendship that's lasted 12 years. And so he's been willing to come over and be my stagecoach driver for the last three days as we finish up uh, our final day of this ministry tour. So, Steve, I really appreciate your efforts to, to come and ride around the stagecoach. And uh, we take a lot of pictures. We maximize the itinerary. We host a lot of prayer huddles. Uh, give people a, a feel of what it's like to uh, be on this side of the microphone and spend a couple of days with Coach K on the road. Well, first of all, uh, it's just a joy for me to even uh, get to spend some time with you. Uh, you. You have meant so much to me. Uh, like you said, uh, I've, I've learned the video school and, uh, and how to take pictures and frame things up. But uh, I've also been able to pick up on so many leadership uh, qualities and traits that have helped me and what God has called me to do. And I've also gotten to be around other godly men with vision and passion. And uh, that's what really turns my crank is getting to be around men like that because they seem to be so far and few between. You go to a lot of conferences, you listen to a lot of podcasts, and we talk on the phone and text back and forth. I'm hearing the latest that God is prompting you with. You're truly a man after God's own heart. But there's nothing like face-to-face, life-on-life, ministry of hanging out. And uh, Steve, typically, for the listening audience, he likes to take one of these annual trips with me. And so he looks over the schedule and tries to decipher what's a good place. We've been to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania together, Baltimore, Maryland. And everybody we've introduced him to, he's found uh, tremendous uh, bonding. And uh, even on this trip, uh, we've called a few guys on the phone. We've made a couple videos personally for some leaders of men to just encourage them at their stage of the journey. That over these last 12 years, he's had a chance to get to know people in our network, as well as us getting involved with guys in his network. Let's go back to those early days of 2006. Obviously, in the evening hours when we weren't doing disaster relief, we had some great times of iron sharpening and ministry equipping and God cemented our hearts together personally. But you know, that was really a, a truly amazing chapter in my life to see the body of Christ lock arms 
All these things that divide us went away, and we focused on what united us. Let's go reach people for the kingdom of God. Take people back to South Mississippi, the particular base camp uh, we were involved with, and um, the face of the storm, James Bobbitt. Tell them about some of your experiences. You came over and made seven or eight trips of the total of 16 that we were involved with. What was the experience like to come and personally be involved as well as bring others from Louisiana to join us in the Gulf Coast? Well, like you said, it was just uh, so good being around people with uh, no agenda other than to uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, meeting people with such humble hearts and willing spirits, uh, as you say, James Bobbitt, uh, just a super selfless man, and his wife, Miss B, you know, uh, and, and all the people that I met. I never met one there that uh, just didn't have a heart to, to give. Uh, and, and what I've learned uh, on that trip and other trips is that we think we're going down there to bless others, uh, but we and all that we bring are the ones who truly get the biggest blessing. One of the greatest uh, parts of me going with you versus what I've seen with others is that we didn't get a whole lot done uh, as far as putting on three roofs or framing up three houses, uh, but we would always go back and make personal touches and personal uh, vi personal touches, not only for me and for the people that I brought, but those people that you would take us to go see, their eyes would light up. You could see hope come into them because Coach K and his group had come back to visit again. And that just uh, meant so much to me. And it really uh, opened up the eyes because a lot of the people I brought were... Um, fairly new in their walk, if in their walk at all. And, uh, and they, had, they got to see a, a different picture of Jesus than, than I think they ever saw before. It was interesting to me, uh, James Bobbitt, this face of the storm individual referring to, that uh, this side of heaven, your Christian life is incomplete without crossing paths with this man. Somebody should make a movie about his uh, efforts uh, during Hurricane Katrina relief, just a miraculous story. Second grade education, truck driver, but you've heard about those guys to give their give you their shirt off their back. He gave away three sets of uh, supplies to rebuild his own house to others who were more needy than that. So that puts him in a totally separate category. But Steve, I'll never forget on trip number four, which was your first one. James told me when we left, he said, "There's something unique about your group." Uh, to follow up on a comment that you made, we were being intentional with not just trying to knock out work during the day. And yes, I would tell all the blue-collar guys, listen, you're not going to get five days worth of work done. That's just not the scenario we're talking about. There were some base camps down there that were slick operations, and man, they knocked it out of the park. They got stuff done, people went back home, and they felt like, hey, some projects were accomplished. But to me, the people were more important than the projects. And for all of our training on those mission trips, we made, uh, especially the blue-collar guys, aware you're only going to get three days worth of work done in five. Now, if you can't handle that, if you're wired too tight, that doesn't accomplish your goals. You feel like that's not a good use of time and resources. This trip is not for you. So that doesn't mean that we're going to sit around and be lazy. It just means that, yes, we're going to be involved in projects, but the massive undertaking to rebuild 
We weren't going to make it a dent in one week, but we were going to definitely try to make an imprint on people's lives. Yes. James Bobbitt sit around those campfires that you were participant of. And for you folks that have been doing disaster relief, you know it's an all-day affair. Man, you're wiped out at the end of the day because a lot of times you're doing things you don't normally do. So we would get back to the base camp, have supper, and then after a break, we'd meet out there when the sun was going down, build a fire, no fancy camp, uh, you know, uh, fire pits for us to work with, just a little uh, rumble of debris. But we would like invite the locals to come and share their stories. That was good for them to kind of flesh that out. But James Bobbitt made a comment to me I'll never forget. He said, Coach, a lot of people have come down here to roof our houses, mud the walls out, you know, begin to help the rebuilding process. We'll be eternally grateful for that. But your group didn't just come roof our house. You came to roof our hearts. And I thought, if that made a connection with that man and he sensed that, then he understands the ministry of Jesus. Because Jesus was not project-driven. Jesus was people-focused. You picked up on that. You participated with that. You were a crucial part of all the folks that you brought over and gave them a taste of that. And it was a fantastic experience. Well, we could do a whole podcast on uh, disaster relief, and maybe one day we'll have a reunion with some of the guys and kind of sit down and brainstorm, because a lot of the guys look back upon that era and see that was so significant. A man will give God his hands first, but we want to see men give God their hearts. Yes. And so it was a starting point, and some right next steps came out of that. The drive time uh, scenarios were just tremendous. Well, we were talking at night about equipping and ministering to men. And God has given you a tremendous ministry over the years, your own background. One day we'll bring you back and talk about that in full detail to target your own spiritual journey. But that gave a burden to you for some you know, guys that really uh, were hurting men, going through some difficult challenges in life. Uh, you've done life-on-life ministry. you put guys in small groups. Tell us about your own personal calling to reach and disciple men. Well, as you say, I come out of a, a, a long, uh, deep, background of addiction. Uh, I didn't find God in the church. Uh, I found God in AA. Um, those steps were my discipleship process. With step 12 saying, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of this process, we tried to practice this message and carry these principles to others. And when I stepped into the church, I just did not find much process for men. Um, especially hurting men or men who weren't, didn't grow up in the church world. Um, so we started trying to do uh, small groups within the church and, uh, and connecting uh, uh, to, to, to hurting men, to men who just didn't really f- feel like they fit in in the, in, in the church environment. So when I would go to church, I'd kind of look for that guy who was on the outside. And, you know, of course, promise keepers became a big part of, of how we would grab them and bring them to an event and build some momentum. And, <clears throat> and promise keepers was one of the uh, first ones who turned me to understanding that they, they had some resources. Uh, so we would always bring some resources back and really try hard to get the guys involved in church in small groups after that which was very difficult it was it was very easy in the very in in the first four or five or six weeks <laughs> but uh like like a lot of men uh they want to put in their six weeks and 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 get feeling a little better and move on 
But uh, capturing momentum is one thing, but sustaining momentum is another. You're saying, yes, sir. So our our ministry has mainly been about uh, creating, capturing, and sustaining that momentum, uh, knowing that you have to get down in the dirt, get down in the mud, uh, love people over and over and over as as if if they're anything like me they just didn't step up and say the prayer and their life turned around and got good uh they i had to go through a process of 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 healing and restoration and and yes in my head i knew who god was but through that process uh my heart i came to know him deeply in my heart and love him like i've never loved anything else and understanding that it takes that process as well for most of the men that I work with. Let's talk about some of the guys you'd bring over to the Gulf Coast with you because it was intriguing to me. There I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, dealing with a lot of white-collar guys and some blue-collar guys. But suburbia America is quite different than the oil fields of the Gulf Coast. Uh, roughnecks, you know, guys that's had some checkered pasts. But they, these are souls from Christ died. And you lived among them. Your vocation had you a part of their lives. And God put a specific call for you to reach those guys. I tell people often, many people are called to reach the 1040 window. And we need to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. There is a specific group now that's been closed for many years. And since the 90s, people are striving to get those resources in the 1040 window. I've been called to reach the guys at 1040 Main Street. Amen. Across the street or around the world, the mission is still the same. You're calling, and I've been on your turf uh, down in South Louisiana. That's a unique uh, scenario. And so uh, describe the average guy that, you know, uh, along the path. You weren't exclusively, obviously, ministering to those guys. You were involved in the church. Both you and I believe the church is God's plan A. Amen. But the church lacks intentionality. And so sometimes we've got to come to the side door, the back door, to the chimney and have ministries outside of the church to eventually hopefully funnel them into a receiving church. And another thing you mentioned earlier, you know, men must be able to, to belong before they believe. Amen. And you would give them that sense of belonging. But anyway, those guys that would come over, uh, I could still see their faces as they'd tell us their stories around the campfire. I'm thinking, dude, man, you've been to places I've never been to as a promise, as a, as a pastor's kid. And so there was a unique place that God had put you in. And so just to kind of describe what that looks like to take those guys out to the oil rigs and the Gulf Coast, they come back and crash and choose, you know, establishments and lifestyles that's going to ruin and wreck their lives. They get into addictive behavioral patterns and then they wash up on your shore. That's pretty much my synopsis. But give us a, a little more of what it looks like uh, in some of those guys' lives and why we must be aware that they're a mission field, they're an unreached people group. Well, a lot of the people in our area, whether they work offshore or not, uh, offshore is 7 and 7 or 14 and 7 or 28 and 7. And sometimes, or really more than sometimes, what we really push is being consistent in the few simple things. If you can be consistent in the few simple things, then things can turn around for you. I think a lot of people... Uh, uh, that, that I deal with, a lot of the people I try to reach think that um, this church thing is 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 just um, looking for a word for it. 
but really uh, to skip a on. lack of transparency, a lack of authenticity. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was around your guys, you know, they were looking for real men yes. who had real issues that believed in a real God. Yes. And sometimes we go into the church environment. We were talking to some of the leaders in Alabama about this. You know, everything gets swept under the rug. We're going to play it close to the vest. Right. And so they see the plastic side of us, not the true person that we are. Yes, and, and so those guys find it very hard to get consistency going. They come in for a week or two weeks, and then they're gone for 14 or 28. Uh, and if you're not working offshore, you're supporting the offshore industry. You go to work at 6 in the morning. You get off at 6 at night. And who wants to, especially if you're working in the in the fab yards or out in the heat all day, who wants to go to another meeting at night? They just... They either go home and go out and party, or they go home and take a bath and go to bed. Total exhaustion. Yes. And so it's really hard to get guys to get into a consistency mode. And that's one of the toughest things for guys in my area. Plus, it usually brings pretty good money working in that field. And like you say, they're they're stuck in their comfort mode. They're they're bass fishing, they're hunting, they're, and that's, they, they work and they do that, and that's all. So through our interactions with them, we hope that they can, we try to let them experience the larger story that the Gospels offer. I think men, just without the larger story aspect, tend to drift. And when I read the Gospels versus what I got in church, uh, the Gospels drew me into this larger story. And that, and we found that when we can get guys to see that, one of the tools that we really use for the very, we hand them out all the time, is the book Epic by John Eldridge, who really, just really draws that larger story out. And I remember those guys coming and sitting around the campfire. And so I'm sitting there to look at this and observing this. So you and I are leaders. God has bonded our hearts. We're working with two different clientels, so to speak. Uh, both equally valuable to God, yes. but from different cultures, dealing with different challenges. The core issues are the same, but the environment, the uh, experiences. And so here's my bankers, you know, from Wells Fargo and others up there that in Charlotte, the second largest banking industry next to New York. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of blue-collar guys as well that own their own businesses and uh, were there participating with us. But when your guys would come and engage, it was almost like, you know, for these three or four days... You know, you typically take the long weekends to join us, uh, sometimes a full week. But when your guys would come over, it was like around that campfire, biblical community was being expressed. Yes. The ground was level at the foot of the cross. And I sensed your guys enjoying being around my guys. Your guys opened up a lot of things to my guys. And we as leaders had a chance to say, hey, you know, it took a disaster. But as we told James Bobbitt many years ago when Katrina broke out, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be unveiled in eternity one day that God put together. You and I had some eyewitness accounts to, to some of that. I'll never forget the day that we were attending a church up there. And um, the, uh, the church was from one theological side of the spectrum. And then there was a local coming down to feed people and representing what his tribe was all about. Uh, obviously, they were both believers in Christ, but... Their theological distinctives were quite opposite. But they came together and they served. The host pastors asked this uh, uh, traveling evangelist who was feeding people to come and help him serve communion. And that was the day that I thought that God smiled. Yes. Again, 
What will it take to give us an opportunity to express Psalm 133? And I think that some of the guys you brought over there, they sense that unity. They sense that community. And for a short time in their life, we would ask you frequently over these last 12 years, how's Joey doing? How's others we had a chance to meet and kind of have a burden for? And recidivism is, is a big thing about the addictive behavioral patterns. And so, like you said, that lack of consistency, all the things that are happening, this is really a complex situation. And a lot of times you would tell me you felt inadequate, you know, you felt like a, a failure, that you weren't accomplishing much. Uh, take us down that road as far as you would like to. Well, you know, coming out of, uh, of long-term addiction, that's, uh, that's how I saw myself. Uh, I had failed at most everything that, that I could think of. I, I, I had dyslexia. I had a hard time in school. Uh, the enemy started planting that seed very early in my in my head and then in my heart that uh, you're just a failure. You don't fit in. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Um, of course, I turned to uh, to, to to chemicals uh, because those people accepted me just like I was, and I could kind of dull those voices out and dull that pain out and. Uh, so that that took me on a on a long journey and, and a long string of failures. Uh, completely put my my parents and my home into a turned it into a war zone for for years and years and years. Uh, had a lot of legal troubles, you know, a lot of job troubles, uh, failed marriage. Um, it was just one failure after another, after another, after another. And, and when I walked in in 1980 into my first treatment center, uh, that's who Steve Miller was, failure. I couldn't have told you that at that point. Uh, one of the things I've learned uh, through this process, uh, uh, and, and it's still a process I'm engaged in because the enemy knows our story and he knows exactly where to shoot those arrows to bring that failure back up um, you know going to church I learned a lot about the Bible um, I didn't learn a lot about identity uh, and and how to to change that failure identity into uh, a Christ-centered identity I knew about it I, I you know I, I'd heard about it but nobody had ever really come alongside and and showed me and helped me to to, to work through that and uh, so God just led me to some some people some men some ministries that uh, that helped me to start to real first of all to recognize that that was my old name that I and you and you really can't live outside of how you truly see yourself so if you really see yourself as failure, you, you kind of self-sabotage a lot. The enemy does get to tell you frequently, you're just not making a difference, and it feels so true. Even though you there are things happening and you can see you're not making a difference, then he just goes to, well, you're not making much of a difference. And uh, I have come to learn over the years that uh, uh, I'm called to do what God's called me to do. And, uh, and, and if I can only just help a few uh, in God's eyes, that's really no different than helping thousands and thousands. Uh, so through a process of, of getting in touch with, uh, of reading books, there wasn't many mentors around, you know. Well, one of the reasons I, I, I love coming and hang out with you is, 
to get to hang out around kingdom-minded men with passion and vision. And uh, there just weren't many of those available to me at home. Uh, So I turned to books. Uh, I've got stacks and stacks. When I would get in trouble and struggle with things, I'd go to the bookstore, Christian bookstore mostly, and look through and try to figure out how to deal with this. And then I read Wild at Heart and got hooked up with uh, Ransom Heart and started understanding uh, more deeply about wounds and, and agreements that the enemy gets us to make. And, and how to go through a process of, of breaking those agreements. Uh, and, and from that point on, my journey changed dramatically to being able to believe that I'm not a failure, to be able to see myself as a beloved son uh, who, who, who sometimes struggles, who sometimes fails, uh, but that doesn't change my identity and who I am. And, and that, that, that was a game changer for me. One of John Eldridge's books is Fathered by God. Yes. And I find some of his principles uh, to be very intriguing, uh, especially as a men's pastor observing this father's wound issue. That was a predominant matter that we dealt with for over three decades. Men whose fathers were emotionally disconnected from the home and or spiritually disconnected from the home. And when they're both happening, that's a, a double whammy. But walk us through these uh, stages from boyhood to manhood. That's one of the things that Eldridge talks about in being fathered by God. We were talking about that yesterday during our drive time over to Dothan. Well, you know, that was totally foreign to me. Um, Beloved son, you know. My dad was a a wounded man himself, um, and and he turned to work. Uh, So my dad was gone at 4 in the morning, was home at... uh, five, six, seven o'clock at night. Uh, I knew that he loved me. Um, he never really told me till in the later years that he did. Uh, but but he, he didn't know how to sow into me. He didn't know how to, to make me feel like a beloved son. He, he by providing for me, that was his way of showing love and, and, and trying to, to express that. Uh, most guys, um, don't realize they're the beloved son. Unfortunately, we relate our daddy at home uh, to our father in heaven. And when we didn't really feel beloved by our father, how can Father God see me as a beloved son? So, you know, uh, from beloved son is from uh, three to eight or so. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be real specific with the, the years, but Beloved son, the, uh, the, the cowboy warrior, you know, is a stage where uh, around 12 years old where we start spreading our wings and moving out and looking for adventure. And, uh, you know, at, at that time I started using drugs at 13. So that, that became my cowboy ranger uh, stage, you know, and, and it was mostly just I didn't experience a, a lot of the adventure and the excitement. Well, I did. It just wasn't good adventure and excitement. Uh, you know, uh, and, and from there comes the warrior. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't see warrior like God describes a warrior. Uh, my, I, I was a warrior uh, doing destruction, not a warrior for good. Um, 
and then you know a, a warrior becomes a, a lover or if he doesn't become a lover or learn how to become a lover he does a lot of damage um, I didn't know how to love uh, I, I wrecked my first marriage um, I wrecked relationships all around me with my warrior spirit uh, and then and then becomes the king uh, and, and, and a king that that hasn't learned hasn't walked through those stages well generally does damage in his kingdom you know and and I did a lot of damage in my kingdom and then comes the sage you know what I learned through through healing and restoration that uh, uh, and, and really started off through boot camps with with ransom heart in uh, some of the books I was reading that God could come back and 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 redo heal and and restore those areas so today I can say I am a beloved son uh, today I can say uh, I am a warrior uh, I have uh, I have learned to fight for 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 the hearts of other people. Uh, I, I I do have a kingdom, and I am learning to be a good king. As I have sages in my life, and and other other strong men come along that's gone before me to help me, that I can bounce things off of, and that I am uh, they know that I am open to their 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 counsel on how to be a better king. And my hope, you know, my greatest hope is to finish well. And to finish well for me is to be that sage one day that sows back into other kings. And, and in the process, create more of those men we were talking about earlier everywhere in my hometown and, and, and across the country. We're going to go to this men's breakfast today here in Dothan. And one of the concepts we'll share with these guys is who's in your foxhole? And you've had a chance to uh, meet some of my foxhole friends. You've heard us talk about that. You've experienced it yourself. And I consider you with a group of guys to be kind of my honorary foxhole that anytime we get together, that's the depth of our connection. It's not just talk about surface issues. Uh, we enjoy fun things together. And uh hadn't quite convinced me, though, to have some of those... uh those Cajun delicacies down there. Tell, tell the audience, you know, Coach is a little more mainstream on his seafood, right? Yeah, he doesn't like sushi or raw oysters or frog legs or anything like that. The po' boys, those, those go over pretty good. I'll take those shrimp po' boys down there. And, uh, but uh, that's uh, some of you people that love the Cajun food. When I go there, we stay mainstream. But uh, we have a little running joke about that. Let's talk about foxhole friendships. We were driving over here yesterday. And again, the intentional way with Coach Haig, we try to practice intentionality. So we rang up Coach Brooks, one of my three foxhole friends, and a guy you've gotten to know from knowing me and appreciating him. And we had a chance to have a, a brief conversation with him, you know, just driving uh, from Andalusia, Alabama, to Dothan, Alabama, about an hour and a half trip. And I had a chance to pray together. And uh, Coach is going through some physical challenges right now. Talk about the importance as you have tried to experience this in your own life, as well as investing into others. I think a lot of those guys you've been ministering to, you know, they got a father's womb and they don't have a, a pathway, you know, to make a connection to, to know God and to make him known. And then on the backside, the, the guys they're hanging with, they're going to the wrong places at the wrong time with the wrong people. So foxhole friendship, speaking of that for a few moments. Well, I think it's vital. 
Um, I think the number one goal of the enemy is to uh, separate us, isolate us. You know, we're, we're warned that he roams around like a prowling lion looking for he, who he can devour. And generally, it's the one on the outside of the herd. Um, uh, that is very, very dangerous territory for me. The enemy used to be able to get me there fairly quickly and fairly often. I felt very lonely, very alone. Nobody understood. Uh, I didn't really have people that I could open up and talk to about those internal struggles, internal battles that were going on with me. And, and you know, one of my favorite secrets, uh, excuse me, one of my favorite sayings over the years has, has become, uh, we are as sick as our secrets. And that's just played out so truly for me and so truly for a lot of the guys that I've connected with. When we keep secrets, when we don't talk it out and walk it out with others, it just gives the enemy such power to, to beat us up and to convince us that we were who we once were um, or convince us that we will never be able to break free from who we are still struggling to break free from. Having those foxhole friends, those guys that I can open up and say, man, I, you know, uh, I'm feeling this way, I'm struggling this way, I'm, I messed up again, how, how can I keep doing this? and still receiving the, the love and the acceptance, those things don't define who I am. In my secret life, they do. If I keep it secret, they start defining who I am. And my with my foxhole friends and me sharing those deep, no secrets in my life with these guys, uh, I know that I am loved, that I'm accepted, that I am encouraged, that I am challenged. Uh, to, to step up to the plate again. It really doesn't matter how many times you fall. It just matters, are you going to get back up and allow God to immediately bring that healing that He brings? As soon as we confess, it's gone. You know, and like you and I were talking earlier, uh, one of the things in my past was that the enemy could beat me up for weeks or months, keep me down in depression and isolation over my failures. Today, I can, uh, most of the time, it's, it's, it's a few minutes or a few hours uh, because that is not who I am. And having those foxhole friends in my life helped me to do that. And you've heard me say many times, uh, a sage of the faith who impacted me uh, for a long time uh, told me in the late 80s, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Amen. And I found a lot of men resonate with that concept. And so that's important for us to give men hope First Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. I think the church beats up men too often that they're not getting it right. Yes, when men get it right, everybody wins. We need to help those guys come along, learn from their mistakes, and to see, let's see the renewal that God brings. Yes, there's amazing grace, but there's transforming grace and there's sustaining grace. Yes. And a lot of those men never find out the transforming grace and the sustaining grace. And so... Well, it's been great to have you in for a few moments. We'll have you back uh, on a uh, future occasion. And uh, like I said, we'll have a cluster of guys either talk about the, the Gulf Coast trip experiences. It was neat to see people from 10 states end up going with us, 262 people. Never planned more than just one trip. But 14 out of 17 guys had their first mission trip experience. God blew their doors off. And then eventually, as we continue to go back, as long as they were going to bring rookies with them, fellows that had never been before, hey, we'll keep going. And uh, then you joined with us and 
this friendship has continued on beyond the disaster relief area. So we'll look forward to talking about some of these uh, matters in more detail. We've got a men's breakfast to go uh, join and hopefully uh, encourage and enlighten some men today. Well, thanks, Steve, for joining us today, as well as you, our listening audience, for another edition of Insights on Intentionality. We look forward to future occasions of sharing additional insights. And be reminded of Ephesians 5.16, make the most of every opportunity. And so remember this, most people have good intentions, but few people practice intentionality. This is Coach K signing off from Dothan, Alabama. We'll look forward to catching you next time on Insights on Intentionality.